Russian President Vladimir Putin called the U.S. dollar's drop in dominance, quote, objective and irreversible during the recent BRICS summit in South Africa, as Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa formally agreed to use local currencies instead of the U.S. dollar. It's the first shoe to drop. As demand for the dollar weakens, the buying power of the dollar also weakens. That's why Birch Gold Group is busier than ever. Investors and savers are looking to harness the power of physical gold held in a tax-sheltered IRA. Text MONICA to 989-898 for your free info kit on gold. Thousands of happy customers, an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and countless five-star reviews, you can count on Birch Gold to help you navigate transitioning an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold. As the U.S. dollar continues to receive pressure from foreign countries, digital currency, and central banks, arm yourself with information on how to protect your savings. Just text MONICA to 989-898 to claim your free info kit from Birch Gold Group right now. Hey guys, I'm Monica Crowley and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thank you so much for being with me here on this Friday, TGIF right? This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and happy warriors. Check me out on social media, Instagram at Monica Crowley underscore, and Twitter and True Social at Monica Crowley. Also by email, I am at Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com, Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. Today and tomorrow, I am at CPAC. In Washington, or I should say right outside of Washington, D.C. And uh, tomorrow, Saturday, I'm actually going to lead a fantastic panel on big tech and the alternative tech universe that some big, big players are actually building to get us out of the iron grip of the tech giants that are suppressing us, spying on us, surveilling us. Uh, censoring us, you name it. So it is going to be a blockbuster conversation at CPAC Saturday afternoon, right before President Trump speaks. So we should have a packed house. Uh, If you're not already there, you can still get tickets. Come and join us. Meet me, say hi, listen to our panel, see President Trump. It's going to be a fantastic time. So, all right, um, we have a lot to get to today on the show. Uh, I should mention next week, we are going to cover TikTok. It is an extremely important uh, subject, not just because of the app. And we all know how wildly popular the app is, especially among the kids. But it is a CCP surveillance tool and is being used and abused in all kinds of ways out of Beijing. So we're going to have a very full conversation about TikTok next week. Uh, You should not have it on your phone. Your kids, your grandkids, your sisters, your brothers, your parents, nobody should have TikTok on their phone. And now it's becoming a bipartisan issue to ban TikTok in the United States. Look, the reality is in China, the CCP has an iron grip on it, and they do not allow their kids to see the kind of content on TikTok that we see, that our kids see. 
So it is a propaganda tool for them as well as being an intelligence gathering tool for them. There's a lot we need to know about TikTok. It's not just this happy-go-lucky app on your phone. It's really, really dangerous. And we're going to have a full conversation about that next week. You're not going to want to miss it. Plus, we've got some other good stuff coming up. All right, later today, we're going to talk with the great Doug Schoen about power. This whole show is about power, the uses and abuses of power. But how do we define power? You think you know what it is, but power comes in all kinds of forms, political, economic, diplomatic, uh, cultural, and power comes in forms that you cannot see, spiritual power, right? deep state power, all kinds of power. So Doug Schoen has a new book called Power, and he spent 50 years working alongside presidents, prime ministers, all kinds of leaders. He knows what makes good ones, and he knows what makes bad ones, and he's seen it all. (laughs) So Doug is going to join us here in a couple of minutes, and that is going to be a really powerhouse conversation. All right. um, There's a bunch of stuff I want to get to here in this opening segment, my Monica memo. First, I have to say CNN's ratings are at like near historic lows. I just want to open with that because it makes me smile. (laughs) CNN hits record lows in viewership during a very sad February for the network. They just can't seem to get it together. February was a month where the wheels came off CNN. They just tanked in their viewership, especially that morning show featuring Don Lamont and uh, the two female reporters. I mean, they're just like hemorrhaging viewers. February saw CNN hit lows in the demo, not seen in over 10 years for that morning show. And in primetime, not much better. CNN primetime demo average of 122,000 viewers. Guys, what? I mean, I mean it, this is jaw-dropping how horrible CNN is doing. Uh, it's still marginally above MSNBC's 119,000 in the demo, but it does mark CNN's smallest audience since 2013. I don't know. It just makes me smile. I thought I'd bring you that happy news to kick off today's show. Um, On a more serious note, this week we saw um, the two heads of the most fearsome government agencies, apart from the IRS, in the country. We saw Merrick Garland testify before a Senate panel, and we had Christopher Wray, the director of the FBI, give an interview to Brett Baer of Fox Both of these guys are so full of shit, I cannot even believe how full of shit these men are. They just lie their way through, and you know, they're professional liars because they're they're lawyers, uh, they're bureaucrats, they're deep state operatives, okay? You need to understand that about these people. And again, we're going to talk to Doug about power. Deep state operatives are trained to lie with a straight face. They all don't have to be spies, you know, hanging out in North Korea or Berlin or South America gathering intelligence to be trained to lie. These guys are trained to lie. Christopher Wray and Merrick Garland just sitting there with a straight face lying to their interrogators, lying to the American people, lying to the world with no compunction whatsoever. It's sociopathic. 
But actually, it is also... But actually, it's also a critical element to being a Marxist. Communists have no empathy. There is no feeling bad or sympathy for anybody in their way. It's all ideology and all revolution all the time. And these deep state characters that are waging war against their fellow Americans, war against the Constitution, war against the free market system, there is no compunction. There's no moral code with these guys at all. Just like every other communist throughout history, no moral compunction about what they say and what they do and how they damage people. There's no no sense of morality whatsoever. And, you know, it's one thing if the head of the EPA were sociopathic like this, like, well, kind of who cares? I mean, they, they apply it now because of East Palestine, Ohio. You want the EPA to be compassionate and generate real policy solutions and get on the ground and help our fellow Americans. But as a general matter, the head of the EPA is like, you know, these are not, these are not life and death issues for the most part. But when you were talking about the Attorney General of the United States and the head of the FBI, both of whom have the power to take your freedom, as well as absolutely wreck your life short of putting you in prison. They can bankrupt you. They can just knock up a bunch of charges. They just make shit up and they stick it on somebody. And now they've got years of legal hell to get their lives back. It's a hallmark of tyranny, of course. And this is where we are. I keep telling you guys, we're in a tyrannical situation here. So the head of the FBI and the Attorney General of the United States, who really have power to ruin people's lives and take their freedom, sat there and lied. They were asked about, um, both of them actually, were asked about abuses of power against like the January 6th defendants. They were asked about abuses of power by the FBI and DOJ on the uh, classified documents probes on Trump versus Biden and how they were handled. They were asked about the uh, miscarriages of justice in terms of unequal applications of the law for parents who care about their kids who showed up at, at school board meetings being targeted and pro-life activists being targeted and conservative Supreme Court justices having activists and, and protesters outside their houses all day long with, you know, DOJ not really lifting a finger in any meaningful kind of way. They're asked about all of this, and they're like, well, it's either under investigation, so I can't talk about it. This is why they keep investigations open forever, so they don't have to answer any questions. They hide behind, well, I can't comment on an ongoing investigation. Or they f- just flat out lie and say, oh, there's one standard for everybody. Our agencies are not politicized. That's the kind of bullshit that we got from them this week. Our agencies are not politicized. What are you talking about? You're misinformed. We have one standard we apply to everybody. Even in the face of actual evidence about January 6th defendants, um, pro-life protesters, um, parents, normal Americans, Catholics that they're now targeting, right? Versus how they handled Donald Trump or BLM or Antifa that freaking burned down the country in 2020. 
And yet they sit there with their sociopathic faces on and claim equal application of the law. What are you talking about? This is such a dangerous moment for this country that I, it, it's, it's really stunning. And it didn't just develop overnight. We always talk about this on the show. This has been ongoing for decades. This communist assault on our country. And as I say, communism never dies. It just gets rebranded. And when you've got these people, these deep state operatives that are down with the revolution, when you've got them holding the keys of the Justice Department and the keys to the chief law enforcement agency in the country, it's a very dangerous situation for all of us in this country that happen to engage in wrong think. You're an independent thinker. You're a happy warrior, as we all are on this show. Oh, you're in the crosshairs. Again, this is the very definition of tyranny. Authoritarian regimes, totalitarian regimes, they control the law enforcement. Show me the person, I'll show you the crime. It's a complete inversion of our system, which is the point. This is what they've been working for for decades. And now here we are. Breitbart over the last day or so has a report up that says FBI agents wanted to close the Trump documents probe, but the DOJ and FBI leaders pushed for a raid. According to Breitbart, quote, some Federal Bureau of Investigations field agents wanted to shut down the probe into suspected documents held by former President Donald Trump as early as June, June of last year. But Justice Department leaders pushed for and ultimately got a surprise raid on Mar-a-Lago in August. According to the Washington Post, FBI officials and the DOJ clashed fiercely over how to handle recovering suspected classified documents from Trump, with FBI agents arguing for a cooperative approach and the DOJ pushing for the unprecedented raid on a former president's home. The aggressive approach was starkly different than the cooperative one the DOJ and FBI have taken toward classified documents with Joe Biden. Well, of course. And Ray and Garland were asked about it this week, and they were like, oh, there's, there was no difference. Trump had armed FBI agents coming to his house at the break of dawn, and they sat there all day going through his wife's lingerie drawer and hat boxes for classified documents, and Joe Biden gets an engraved invitation. And these two clowns are trying to tell us, oh, no, they were treated the same. And here we've got this uh, story from the Washington Post saying, look, the field agents on the ground were like, look, this is really not a big deal. We can handle this. President Trump is cooperating. And we'll see to it that we get the documents back. And he's shown us what he has, etc. And it was the Christopher Rays and the Merrick Garlands of the world that overrode what the field agents were recommending and said, no, go in. Go in with guns blazing into a former president's home. This is what we're dealing with here, and this is what we're up against, guys. This is an absolute tyrannical situation. It is a classic abuse of power, but to what end? And that's the really terrifying question, because the answer to it is terrifying. All right, when we come back, we are going to talk to Doug Schoen about power, 
power, its uses and abuses, its light and its darkness. And right now we're in a world of hurt with a lot of darkness settling on this country. But Doug is going to be here to give us some hope and also to break down how leaders he has worked with have used power both the successful ones and the not-so-successful ones, including some good stories about Donald Trump and Bill Clinton. So don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. Okay, everybody, listen up. We all want to be healthier, right? Well, to get there, we have to have a healthier diet, which is not always easy to do. I can attest to that. You know, that shredded lettuce in a double-double, And the fruit filling in a donut are amazing, but they do not count toward the recommended five servings of fruits and vegetables a day. Sorry to be the one to break it to you, but they don't. I don't always eat healthy either, but I will share that the Mayo Clinic says if you want to help prevent heart disease, lower blood pressure, and cholesterol, eat five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. I don't and you probably won't. That's why I take Field of Greens. Unlike other supplements, each fruit and each vegetable in Field of Greens was medically selected by doctors to support your vital organs, like the heart, lungs, kidneys, and the immune system. Flu season is here, and I trust Field of Greens to help me stay healthy. Field of Greens works fast and tastes so good. It's really delicious, guys. And you'll feel better with more energy, and you'll notice your skin, hair, and nails will look healthier too. I certainly noticed that in me since I started taking Field of Greens. If you don't always eat right and exercise, join me and take Field of Greens. Let me get you started with 15% off your first order. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use promo code MONICA. That's promo code MONICA at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. Well, a really big show today because we're going to center it on power. We talk a lot about power on the show. It comes in different forms and it expresses itself in different ways. Power can be used for good purposes. It can be used for evil. We have seen it across the board. But what is power really? And how is it most effectively exercised? Well, we're going to answer all of those questions today because we are joined by my dear friend and one of the last remaining moderate Democrats. He is one of the few non-revolutionaries in America today, Doug Schoen. Doug has been the power behind the throne to presidents, prime ministers, and even a politician priest whose brother was a mob boss. He's seen it all. Doug has helped Bill Clinton win re-election. I have issues with that, but I still forgive him for that. He helped Clinton win re-election and navigate the Monica Lewinsky scandal. He conducted the first ever presidential poll for Donald J. Trump all the way back in 1987. That's how long Trump had been thinking about running for president. Doug has also guided Michael Bloomberg's uh, three terms as mayor of New York and three of his clients. Israeli leaders Yitzhak Rabin, Shimon Peres, and Menachem Begin won the Nobel Peace Prize. And two of those leaders uh, who he has assisted, Rabin and Yugoslav politician Zoran Jinchik, were assassinated. So Doug has really seen it all. He has written a brand new book, in many ways a memoir, called Simply Power, The 50 Truths. 
This is the insider's definitive guide in which he reveals the 50 truths of power that he has learned in his long, prestigious, and distinguished career. This is a long time coming. A lot of people, including me, have been waiting for Doug to write a memoir of sorts, which is what this is, but it's also a blueprint for power. And it's available now, so please go get it. It is a page turner. I'm delighted to welcome back to the show my good friend, Doug Schoen. Hi, Doug. Monica, what a lovely introduction. I couldn't ask for more. Well, I have to tell you, you'll get a laugh out of this. Um, to paraphrase Henry Kissinger in a different context, it has the added virtue of being true. Doug. Well, you're very kind to say that. And I'm glad to be able to share with your listeners my reflections, ruminations, and reactions to the exercise of power that I've seen in my life and career. Well, congratulations on this Thank book, again, called Power. Um, it's just incredible. I said to you before we came to air, it's a really um, important book. It reads like a novel in many ways, but this is real life. And we're going to drill down into it because everybody needs to know Power comes in, as I said, a lot of different forms, and Doug has been on the scene seeing power uh, embodied, exercised in good ways and bad over many decades. So we're going to drill down into this. But before we get started, Doug, I've got to ask you, what is your assessment right now of Joe Biden, his presidency, and as we head into 2024, your sense of where we are in this campaign? Will Joe Biden actually be the nominee? If not, Kamala, or is there someone else on the horizon? Mrs. Clinton, perhaps uh, you could go back to run a presidential campaign. Talk to us about where we are. Well, Biden's approval is in the low to mid 40s, which, as you know, for an incumbent president is hardly a strong position to be in. Moreover, there is a sense that he and the Democrats are responsible for inflation and the other issues facing the country. The Republicans leading the Democrats in terms of who's best able to handle the problems facing America. But that being said, where we are in the 2024 election is right where we left off uh, in 2020, a very, very close race between Joe Biden, should he be the nominee, and Donald Trump, should he be the nominee? Yeah, it's going to be a very interesting turn of events, because I think on the GOP side, Doug, we're going to have a pretty fulsome field. And we saw what happened in 2016, a large field benefits Donald Trump who, you know, just recently went to East Palestine, Ohio, where there, there was that major industrial accident. Joe Biden refuses to go. His administration has been very, very slow on the uptake. And what you're really seeing here is America last versus America first. And I know you're a very loyal Democrat, but I think, you know, uh, the context of the Biden administration with all of these catastrophes, open border, economically, Afghanistan, crime, cities in collapse, you name it, it is really teeing it up for another Trump presidency. Or am I wrong? Well, no, you're, you're not wrong. I mean, the polling now, in the last couple of weeks, there have been two credible polls, one the Harvard-Harris poll, the other Washington Post that show Trump three points ahead. So it's certainly very possible that Trump could win. Now, we have a long way to go. Partisan attitudes, as you and I have discussed 
Monica, are very firm in America. So there's not going to be a lot of back and forth. But if you say to me, what's Trump's chance of being reelected if he's the nominee? About 50-50. It's really incredible. I mean, look, the left cannot help itself. It can't stop itself. It, it has to go to the far extreme, uh, whether it's uh, Marxism, CRT, however it, it demonstrates itself. They can't not do it because they are essentially revolutionaries, not you but the bulk of the, the energy and the activists on your side of the aisle, Doug. And so they're creating another environment for Donald Trump to come right back. I hope that's the case, <laughs> but I, I know you probably don't, but the overreach by the left is absolutely incredible. It's astonishing. Yeah, you know, the Democratic Party, the way I would put it, is committed to redistribution of wealth and a deep-seated suspicion of corporate power. That is, we are a capitalist democracy, as we both know, and of course the listeners know, but for the Democrats, they would prefer in many instances that a quasi-socialist state be created. Now that's not every Democrat, but sadly, Monica, your introduction, which was both very kind and certainly not inaccurate, uh, there are fewer and fewer of us moderate, pro-defense, pro-fiscal discipline Democrats out there. It's a lonely universe for you, Doug Schoen. So how lonely are you? I mean, when you take a, a look at your own party and how far left it's gone and the damage that it's wreaking to the Democratic Party, but also to the country and, and to the West, frankly, it, it must be heartbreaking for you. Well, in my estimation, Monica, we're going to have a Republican Senate the House is likely to stay Republic, Republican, and as I said, a 50-50 chance for the Republicans to win the presidency. So it is heartbreaking to me to see how far the party has moved left, and I've tried to resist, and you know, uh, I've been successful in some things, as you kindly point out, but uh, that's when I haven't been as successful as I'd like to have, uh, have been. Well, you know, as brilliant and powerful as you've been throughout your career, Doug, you're still just one guy. And you have been standing there in the breach for a very long time, and your party has just gone off the cliff. So I can speak to this because you've been my friend for a long time. You have really, really tried to steer your party back to the center as it essentially was under the Bill Clinton uh, during the Clinton years when you had such uh, influence on the president and the Clinton White House, but now it's just gone completely off the reservation. And I know you have tried valiantly to bring it back, but unfortunately, the forces are bigger than even you, Doug. I, I thought we would never have anything like the squad. I never thought that Bernie Sanders would have the degree of influence and power that he's had in the Democratic Party and indeed in the Biden administration. It is very, very strange and unfortunate to me that we've had a government that has moved as far left from where I left Bill Clinton in the year 2001. 
It's really incredible. And we're going to have to see um, how these things unfold over the next two years going into 2024. I think it's going to be a wild race on both sides. Um, and then we'll see where we go from there. But uh, Doug, you're always our go-to for what's happening, especially on the Democratic side, but what's happening in the country writ large. All right, please stand by. More with Doug Schoen straight ahead. But first, are you looking for the perfect secret skincare? Well, the secret is out. It's Genucel. Genucel products target all your problem areas like dark spots, skin redness, and even a sagging jawline. And now Genucel is giving my listeners a surprise savings at checkout. Go to genucel.com slash Monica. And for a limited time, any subscription order includes a free beauty box plus free shipping. Genucel works for men and women of all skin types. With its immediate effects, see results in 12 hours guaranteed or your money back. Right now, GenuCell's most popular package includes their new probiotic extract moisturizer for visibly healthier, more youthful-looking skin, absolutely free with every most popular package order. Go to GenuCell.com slash Monica. Again, GenuCell.com slash Monica for surprise savings at checkout. And for a limited time, any subscription order includes a free beauty box plus free shipping. That's GenuCell, G-E-N-U-C-E-L, GenuCell.com slash Monica, GenuCell.com slash Monica. We're coming right back. Okay, we're back with Doug Schoen. Let's talk about your brand new book. Again, it's called Power, The 50 Truths. Why did you decide to write this and why now? You know, I've seen and heard a lot through um, my career. I've done a great deal in a lot of different realms. And it struck me that it was the time to write a memoir of this type, but to organize it around power which is ultimately what politics is about. How do you define power? I define power as the exercise of influence to obtain a particular result using persuasion, using influence, and ultimately sometimes using uh, coercion. Yeah, I think that is a really succinct and apt uh, definition of power. You know, President Nixon, uh, for whom I worked during the last years of his life, used to say that there are two types of people who seek power, those who seek it for its own sake and those who seek it for what they can do with it. Now, sometimes that's for good, sometimes it's for evil, and we've seen both throughout history, correct? Absolutely. And uh, increasingly, I think what we're seeing in our political life are people who are seeking power for the sake of achieving power rather than what they can do for this great country we both love. Or they're seeking power for having power to transform the country into something we all don't recognize, um, which is really terrifying and it's well underway. All right. So let's drill down into this book because you have been up close and personal with some of the most powerful people in the world. Let's get into it. You divide this book power into four parts. Let's start with part one, which you call know yourself. What do you mean by that? What I mean by know yourself is to frankly assess your strengths and weaknesses so that you can best 
uh, advocate for yourself. How many people, Monica, have you seen? I've certainly seen, but I know you have too, who are unable to read the tea leaves, unable to understand their strengths and weaknesses, and unable to act in their own interest. That's why I said know yourself. You know, that's a very interesting point because you want an effective leader. I think all effective leaders are intellectually um, intelligent, right? There's great IQ in most uh, successful leaders and politicians, but EQ, emotional intelligence is something else entirely. And I think your point about know yourself gets to EQ, does it not? It, It absolutely does. And EQ is the key to the whole process because unless you are able to both know yourself and know the people you are dealing with trying to influence to exercise power you will fail so you open uh, part one here with first do no self-harm and the example you use is bill clinton your former boss president of the united states and governor of arkansas what do you mean by first do no self-harm bill clinton had a great and successful re-election in 96. He had a 60% approval and he had the ability to fundamentally alter in what I believe would have been a positive direction American society. In fact, much of the uh, second term was consumed with him dealing with the Lewinsky scandal, which probably for a lot of people is what they remember best about his administration. That's just sad that a presidency, which is such an important uh, uh, role, critically important role, would turn into a rather tawdry tale. You know, Bill Clinton, um, and and here's the question. If you have your sights set on the presidency of the United States, that is your ultimate goal in life. And you are attorney general of Arkansas and you're getting yourself into a world of pain by cheating on your wife and having all of these extramarital dalliances. And then by some fluke and and political talent, okay, I'll give Bill Clinton that, you become governor of Arkansas. And while you're governor of Arkansas, and again, your eyes are on the big prize, you continue to have these extramarital affairs, which you know has you walking on a knife's edge. And then you, you become president of the United States and you continue to do it. What is it about the self-destructive nature of some of these leaders? Some people say Richard Nixon, some people say, obviously say Bill Clinton. What is it in some of these people that attracts them to political power, but they also have this deeply entrenched self-destructive streak in them? Well, going into politics, Monica, does not necessarily mean that you will shed the demons that you bring to bear in your day-to-day life. And in Bill Clinton's case, I honestly do not believe that he was able to control his uh, um, darker impulses. I think he would have been a more successful president. I think he would have a more transcendent role in life today. And I think it's just sad that uh, he was unable to get full and complete satisfaction from doing the most important job in the world. 
What, having worked with Bill Clinton during that period of time, um, obviously he had some big successes. So you can point to the economy, balanced budget, et cetera. The Lewinsky scandal, of course, is looms huge. And you have uh, said that you think that Monica Lewinsky actually distracted Bill Clinton to the point where he was not focused on Osama bin Laden and the rise of Al Qaeda. That's exactly right, Monica. I remember the night, and I think it was 1998, when uh, there was an attempt on the life of Osama bin Laden at Tora Bora. And we, by all accounts, came close to getting him. Think how much different the world would have been had we ultimately taken him out after that failed attempt. But it was clear to me that night, based on what I heard, that it was very hard to get the administration to completely focus, that we consulted widely with our allies in the region before taking action. And uh, I came away thinking that we were not going to try again, uh, sadly, until it was too late. And I wish I could sit here and tell you I was wrong. You know, everybody has their their flaws. We're all human beings. Um, but when you're electing someone and, and we elect human beings to the presidency, but Bill Clinton's demons, which he did not put in check as attorney general or as governor or as president, um, cost the United States dearly in terms of our national security with that attack and other things that went on during his presidency. And that that to me is inexcusable, is it not? I mean, I, what's your view now all of these years later? I, I guess the way I see it, as you said before, there were a number of accomplishments domestically, um, the balanced budget, the debt and deficit uh, reduction, welfare reform, the crime bill, all of which I thought were positive initiatives. We almost made peace in the Middle East. But there were these gaps and problems that you point to that remain, uh, you know, unfinished business uh, as we still fight Al Qaeda to this day. I mean, every leader is a human being, as I said, and we all have our our flaws and our strengths. But I, I Bill Clinton, in Bill Clinton's case, uh, anyway, um, thank you for addressing that, Doug. We've got to hit this quick break, but we will be back with much more with Doug. But first, guys, you know, The Economist recently reported that American philanthropy is going woke like everything else, and predominantly funding liberal causes. Do you want to help counterbalance this liberal influence? If so, consider listening to Giving Ventures. It'll give you a good idea of the liberty-minded organizations working to erase the heavy hand of government so individuals can prosper and thrive, and that's what we all want. Giving Ventures is a podcast designed to help donors and prospective donors discover new opportunities to change the world for the better. Twice a month, the Giving Ventures podcast highlights several nonprofit efforts, initiatives, and projects that leverage private philanthropy to solve public problems. Recently, they were joined by Star Parker, founder and president of the Center for Urban Renewal and Education, a charity that works with lawmakers to craft policy that lifts people out of poverty. Kendall Qualls, president of Take Charge MN, whose organization promotes common sense family policy and vocational 
training. And Bob Woodson, founder and president of the Woodson Center, a charity that helps revitalize low-income communities. The show is a product of Donors Trust, the oldest and largest donor-advised fund helping conservative and libertarian givers simplify, protect, and grow their giving. The team at Donors Trust regularly engages with the policy groups, student organizations, academic centers, and civil society nonprofits that endeavor to limit government, grow personal responsibility, and strengthen free enterprise. If you care about the principles of liberty, and if charitable giving is an important part of your life, Giving Ventures is the podcast for you. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts like this one and catch up on the latest episode by visiting donorstrust.org slash Monica. Again, donorstrust.org slash Monica. We're coming right back. Okay, we're back with our final minutes with Doug Schoen, whose new book is called Power. Let's move on to part two, uh, which you call evaluate your circumstances. I guess that is situational awareness at all times. And you uh, begin this part of the book with a section called Suck It Up, and you use Joe Biden as the example. Tell us about that. Well, if you look at Joe Biden's electoral history before 2020, it was consistent consistently bad, meaning while he won an upset victory, I think it was in 1972 for the U.S. Senate, um, he tried to get on the national stage uh, at least two times, didn't succeed. Obama told him in 2016, after eight years as vice president, uh, he should not and never run for president. Uh, His campaign in 2020 was undistinguished until uh, he got to South Carolina and was able to make a deal with Jim Clyburn, which brought him the African-American vote. But Biden basically uh, has many strengths, and I think we both agree, many weaknesses, but he maximized his strengths. He took care uh, to preserve his relationships so that the inside game with people like Clyburn and even now with Mitch McConnell, uh, dominate uh, how he does business to his uh, arguable benefit. Do you think he is actually in control of his own presidency? I mean, we saw with the Chinese spy balloon that the generals withheld that information from him for four days, apparently because they were afraid he was going to blurt it out in some sort of demented uh, moment. So they kept the secret from the commander in chief. And then when he ordered it shot down, they overruled him. So you've got basically like a slow motion, slow motion, soft military coup happening here. And then there's speculation that it's really Barack and Michelle and their whole team via Susan Rice in this White House running the country. What's your view? My view is that Biden is setting the direction for the country, but on a day-to-day, hour-to-hour basis, he is more a chairman than he is a COO. That is, He is not operating, making minute-to-minute decisions, which I think have largely been left to the chief of staff in domestic affairs, uh, perhaps the military and foreign affairs. And while I think Biden 
uh, remains capable of doing the job, it is clearly not at the level that uh, some presidents have been at. Well, that is that is a very diplomatic <laughs> way of putting it, Doug. Well done, well done. Um, Part three in your book, you call judge your timing. And man, isn't that true, whether it's in politics or in life, timing is everything. And you write here, um, when available, take certainty or strategically delay. That's very difficult for particularly presidents, but any leader to do when they are in the crucible of events and, and a very high pressure situation of being at the top of the, leading their country. So talk to us a little bit about certainty or strategically uh, delaying things. You know, life presents many difficult challenges. And when you're president, the only decisions that come to you from what I saw firsthand are those that do not have a good answer or a clear resolution. So what I found with Bill Clinton and, and observing key leaders, yes, they can be decisive when they have to be. But they do far better getting more information, having as much as you correctly point out, certainty or strategic clarity before decisions are made. So bold and decisive is important, but taking as much counsel as you can get and making decisions based on it is what I think is ultimately most important. And very difficult when you're sort of in the bloodstream of fast moving events to time things perfectly. And again, we're all human beings, very difficult. So when you've got a leader who can time things well, that is a huge advantage, I think. And I'll just share with you, you know, President Nixon, when he was elected in 1968, took office in January of uh, 1969. And he called in his chief of staff the very first day. They literally moved in on January 20th of 69. He called in Bob Haldeman and he said, Bob, um, my first order to you is that you need to build in one hour of free time for me every single day. No meetings, no phone calls, no nothing. One hour. And Haldeman looked at him and said, well, Mr. President, OK, that's going to be tough, but I, I think I can do that. Um, what, what do you want that hour for? You want to take a nap? And Nixon looked at Haldeman and said, no, Bob, I'm not Winston Churchill. I don't want to take a nap in the middle of the day. I need an hour to think. And when you were president or any kind of leader, Doug, and you have all of these fast moving events and demands on you and demands on your time coming at you, getting that one hour just to turn it all off and think is incredibly important, but most of our leaders don't do that. Monica, if I could offer one piece of advice to future leaders who may read the book or listen to your excellent podcast, it would be take your time making decisions. Three words, sleep on it. Richard Nixon was right. Taking the time and effort to think to reflect is an important trait that few, if any, are able to fully integrate into their lives. I try to do it, I know you try to do it, um, but it is a huge challenge. And the more you get up the greasy pole of power and leadership, the more it's essential. 
Absolutely. And not enough leaders do this. We're in such a hyperspeed environment in this world with social media and fast breaking events. But you are exactly right, because the last thing you want any leader to do, or frankly, what you, you should not be doing in your life is making decisions too quickly and based on emotion. Think about it, chill out, chill out, cool down, as, absorb as much information as you can, and then make a decision. All right, Doug, part four here in our final moments with you, you call this part reward your friends. And you write about you are your friends. You also say you can earn yourself a lot of goodwill very cheaply, and you can earn yourself a lot of bad will even cheaper. Um, a lot of people can help you. A lot of people can also hurt you. And you also say find your followers, which you use Donald Trump as an example of that. Can you talk to us about what you mean about f having friends and associates in your world? You know, there are so many people that you and I have dealt with, Monica and we've discussed in other contexts, who are completely instrumental. And what I mean by that is they do what is in their interest on a particular day, irrespective of what has happened previously or what's been done for them. Uh, and their attitude is, uh, you know, I make decisions based on what I need and want and anticipate. And there's nothing wrong with that. It just is not the way to amass power and influence in society. Uh, you believe, and I believe, Monica, which is why we've been lifelong friends, that if you are good to people, it will come back to you and you will be able to act effectively uh, both on your own behalf and others' behalf if you are as beneficent as you are wise. And so many people do not see the larger picture when they make decisions or they build relationships that I felt in this section, this concluding section, it was important to underscore how best to conduct yourself so you're in a position to exercise maximum power. Really important part of this book because you know politics is totally transactional and Washington DC is called the swamp for a reason uh, because there's there's nobody there that really has your best interests yeah. at heart certainly except maybe if you're president you're your closest loyalists in that white house but remember what harry truman said if you want a friend in this town get a dog Okay, and that is 100% true. So I think what you're laying out here in terms of power and leadership is a really important point. And, and this is also why, look, it's all transactional. Nobody's under any illusions that it's not. But when you go out and you campaign for other people, you're collecting chits that will come back uh, and redound to your benefit when you're ready to seek reelection or a higher office, right? Oh, absolutely. Bill Clinton was very, very good at doing that before he ran successfully in 1972. And your former boss, Richard Nixon, having lost in 1960 for president, governor of California, losing in 62, rebuilt his image in 64 and particularly in 66 by campaigning around the country for Republicans and ultimately was able to build on that to resoundingly win the nomination. Uh, in 1968 against all odds. Exactly right. Um, in our final moment or two here with you, Doug, what, what, what's the greatest lesson 
that you have learned working with presidents and prime ministers and mayors and, and all kinds of uh, people, leaders around the world. What's the greatest lesson that you have learned throughout this incredible career that you've had? You have to have an overarching purpose about what you're doing. Otherwise, you cannot fully succeed. My point is that instrumentalism, short-term maximizing of benefits, ultimately means you'll be less successful than you can be, which doesn't mean you have to be a slave to a ideology or an agenda, but you have to try to be going somewhere to get something done. There has to be a meaning about your life and your work. And if you do, you can be successful and exercise power. It's something you've been very, very committed to in your own career, Monica, brought you great success and recognition. And I'd like to think in a small way, I've been able to do the same thing. Oh, absolutely, Doug. Yes. And, you know, as you were giving us that answer, I was thinking about about President Nixon's admonishment to any candidate running for office, whether it's presidency or dog catcher in your local town, which was, it's not enough just to tear down the other guy in a campaign, you have to offer the American people a positive and compelling reason to vote for you rather than just against the other person. Because voting above everything else is an emotional act. It's more of an emotional act than it is an intellectual or political one. And I think that is a lesson that you have learned is reflected in the pages of this book. And I, we can't thank you enough, Doug. Monica, the thanks is entirely yours for your kindness, your close read of the book, but most of all for the life you've led and the person you are. Oh, that is so kind of you, Doug. And right back at you. I treasure our friendship so much. This book is absolutely fascinating, guys. As you can tell, it is a must read. It's also a perfect gift for the political animal in your life or for yourself, I promise you, you won't be able to put it down. It's simply riveting and such a dynamic rendering, Doug, of your accomplished life so far with much more to go. Thank you so much, Monica. From your mouth to God's ears, <laughs> same to you. Well, thank you so much, Doug, and thanks for being here. Congratulations. Again, guys, thanks. the book is called Power. The 50 Truths, it's available now wherever you get your books, go get it. Okay, another fantastic show in the can. Thank you guys so much for being here and for checking out our phenomenal sponsors. We all really appreciate that as always. If you're at CPAC, come and say hi. I would love to meet you. Let me know that you're listening to this podcast. I so appreciate it, guys. I really do. And I will be on stage at CPAC leading a phenomenal panel on Saturday, tomorrow at about 4.30, 4.40. So go to cpac.org and check out the live stream. You'll be able to see it. And then right after our panel, President Trump takes the stage, which is going to be absolutely incredible. Um, all right, guys, have a wonderful weekend. And I will see you right back here on Monday. Monday.